0: Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Tell to the
1: church, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him as many as seven times? They were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord.
0: How are we doing? Good? Doing okay? Just all right today? Let's pray together and then we'll, we'll jump in. Father, oh God, I need you so badly to come and to speak, to, to be in my mouth and in my mind, and to help me to communicate your word rightly, accurately. And God, we need you, we, we all need you to be able to hear what you have to say. We all need you to, to have willing hearts to hear what you have to say. We, eager hearts to, to take your word in and to, and to change the way we think and act based upon what you say. God, we, I pray that this church would be a city on a hill, a light in darkness, a church that looks different than the world around us, God, I pray that you would purify us and deepen our fellowship, deepen our community here, God, and that, it might, um, that that truths that we learn today might be a part of that, that you would plant seeds in our hearts today that would bear fruit in the days and months and years ahead. We ask Holy Spirit to come and, and have your way with this time, Lord, that, that you would guide it, that you would direct it, Um, and that you would use it to glorify Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen. So when I became a Christian, I was in college, and I was used to living what you might call the typical um, college experience, where my social life revolved around uh, bars and parties and things like that. And then I got saved, and um, God rescued me. He showed me the truth about Jesus, and I was um, I, I was excited. I was bold. I started telling all my friends about it. And quickly, started losing my friends. <laughs> and um, and the next thing I knew, I was like friendless. And um, I found out about this thing called the the Baptist Student Union. Now it's called the Baptist Collegiate Ministry. But anyways, and I so I, I found out about all these. Christian students who went to this one place every week, and they, and they worshiped together. And I was like, I am there. And I, and I went, and I met my my first Christian uh, guy friend, and his name was Ben Whittinghill. He's, he's a church planter, a pastor now in Brattleboro, Vermont. And um, I remember he invited me to tailgate with him and some other uh, of his friends before one of the University of Georgia football games, and I was like, okay, sure. And so you have to imagine, I had one um, thing that I had experienced, what I imagined, what, what I associated with tailgating, and I went into this new experience blind, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I just remember that at the end of that day, I was so confused, About what I had experienced. I didn't understand that these guys really like loved each other and cared and knew, like they knew what was going on in each other's lives. It was the strangest experience. They wanted to know me. They asked me questions. They dug into my life. I felt incredibly uncomfortable with that. At the end of it, a guy came up to me and gave me a hug. And I remember just standing there like
1: this.
0: (laughs) But as I began to, to be included in this fellowship, this community of believers, as one of them, as a brother, what I found was that this was what I'd always wanted, this is what, this was the kind of relationships that I'd always longed for and I didn't even know existed. I had skimmed across the surface of relationships my entire life, how you doing, what are we doing tonight, that was about as deep as it got, and all of a sudden, I was a part of a community that cared about each other, that cared about me, and I was hooked, I was hooked. The Christian community, the the family of God, last week we talked about how we've all been adopted, that we are all children, little children in the Father's household. We've been adopted. We're in a faraway land. We're on a journey to the Father's house. We're not yet home. If you were with us last week, you're familiar with all of that. And in the Father's house, we are siblings, brothers and sisters with the same adoptive father and the same big brother, Jesus, who saved us and reconciled us. And in this household, in this family, there's a way in which we interact. There's a way in which we relate to one another. And it's very different. It is very different from the way that the world interacts and relates to one another. And so today, This is what we're going to be talking about. Yes, we're going to be talking about forgiveness. Yes, we're going to be talking about how to be reconciled if there's an issue. But but bigger than that, I think maybe more broadly speaking, generally speaking, we're talking about just how do you do relationship in this house, in the family of God. And fortunately, the Bible has all the wisdom we need for these things. Jesus is so wise and he's going to give us so much that we can apply to our lives. So from the very beginning, we're actually going to kind of approach this rather long passage uh, from the end and we're going to work our way back because at the end he's, he's giving us how, how we can forgive people and, and how we can live in relationship together and then uh, I don't want you wondering how the whole time. So we'll go ahead and start there, and then we'll get into some of the really practical things. Okay? So if you're a note taker, um, here's my first point this morning. We're family. And they're all going to start with that, because that's the context of all of this. We're family. Dad has forgiven you. you got to forgive. Dad has forgiven you. you got to forgive. At the end of this passage, which... We are not going to reread the whole thing. Jesus tells this parable about a person who is forgiven by a king a, a, a massive an immeasurable debt, an unthinkable debt. He is forgiven so much. And then that same servant goes out, finds a fellow servant that, that owes him a little bit, And strangles him. Pay me every last cent. Right? And Jesus, end of that, he says, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? and in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debts. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. My Father will will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother. So you hear this family language. We're talking about how to do relationships in this family of God. With your brothers and sisters in Christ. We're family. And so, he begins this whole passage with, if your brother sins against you, in verse 15. If your brother sins against you. This whole thing is about family relationships. And what we need to consider is that throughout the scriptures, it's very, very clear That because we're family, we're to love like family. It says in Romans 12 that we're to love one another with brotherly affection or with a sibling affection, and we should seek to live in harmony with one another. That's God's heart for His church. That's God's heart for His children, is that we live in harmony with one another, that we love each other like family. If we're called, you think about it, Jesus tells us that we're called to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us, to bless those who curse us. If that is the standard for Christians, how high must the standard be for our own brothers and sisters? Think of it. And um, earlier you may have heard Lucius mention this verse in John 13 35, it says this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is Jesus telling us, telling his disciples, here's how the world knows that you're mine, that you're really my disciples. Here's the thing that they're going to see. Love for one another. That is what sets us apart. That is going to be the brightest light shining to the watching world. Our love for each other. And so we're family. We're called to love each other like family. And in order to love, we're going to have to forgive. Here's the thing that, that I have learned. If you're ever going to really go deep with any people you are going to be sinned against and you are going to sin against others you have a couple of options here you can either skim across the surface of relationship you can bounce around to different churches you can show up on Sundays, leave quick You can go very surface. People ask you how you're doing, you can just say, pretty good. You can just keep it, you know, it's pretty good, weather's nice, and just leave it there. Or, you can go really deep and have really significant relationships with other people. And there's going to come a time when people will hurt you. And you'll hurt them. Because here's the deal. Going back to last week, we're not yet home. We're still in these fleshly bodies. We are still broken people. Yes, we've been adopted. Yes, we've been given the Spirit of God in us. Yes, we are cleansed. Yes, we're different, and we still sin. Right? That's the, that's the The assumption of this entire passage is, okay, Jesus is like, I want you to have real, deep, awesome, lasting friendships with Christians. How do you do that when we're all a bunch of sinners? Changed as we are, we are still broken. So how do we do it? Well, we're going to have to forgive. We're going to have to forgive. So we're a family, we're a love-like family. And we're to forgive if we're going to be able to do this. And how do we do that? Here's the how. He says in verse 32 and 33, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on on you. Here, here is the how. We are to remember the gospel, the whole gospel. And here's what I mean by the whole gospel. Let me give you a little analogy. I love Sour Patch Kids. And like any good dad, I take a tax from my children to teach them real life, you know. I want them to know that some of your, some of your money is going to go to the authorities. And some of your candy is coming to me. <laughs> and so when I take a tax, I tend to look for the Sour Patch Kids. I love Sour Patch Kids. There's something about that sour than sweet experience, you know. You got to muscle through it, you just, you press through and then it's worth it. Well, the gospel is like a Sour Patch Kid. No, stay with me here. In in order to get to the sweet stuff of the gospel, you first have to realize and believe that you are actually a really, really, wicked sinner. That you have broken God's laws and you're guilty of high treason against a very, very holy God. You've got to first recognize and believe that the penalty of sin, of your sin, is death. And that it is so evil. Our sin is so evil that it took the death of the Son of God to pay the price. That's the sour part, and you got to taste that first. You got to weep and mourn and feel that first if you will ever get to the sweetness of the gospel, which is that he forgives that he forgives it all that he because of the death of his son washes us clean that he lavishes so much grace upon us that he remembers our sin no more you've got to taste the sour to appreciate the sweet. And you see, I think what happens, he says, I forgave you all that debt, should not you have forgiven your servant. What what I think happens is we forget the sour part of the gospel. We just remember that there's grace for us, and we're forgiven, and I'm a child of God, and I'm loved by God, and we forget how great the debt was that was forgiven. And because we forget, then we can look at the way that others trespass against us, the way that others wound us and, and sin against us, and we can think that is unforgivable. That's the message here that Jesus is getting at is that we must remember the immense the incalculable debt that we've been forgiven of in order to be merciful and gracious towards others. If we can remember it, and if we see it rightly, we will be the most mercy, merciful, most gracious people on the planet. We will be a church that is known by an atmosphere of grace because we've been shown so much grace. Colossians 3, 12 through 14, tells it way. These sort of house rules in the Father's household. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. There it is. That's, that's our identity. We've been chosen, adopted, made holy. We are dearly loved. So for those of us who are in His household, here's the, here's the rules in the household. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, Meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive, it says. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. There is no other option for us in the household of God. We're commanded we must forgive. In the way that we've been shown mercy, we are to show mercy. In the way that we've been forgiven, we are to forgive. And he gives us this Terrible warning at the end of this parable in verse 35. If you don't forgive your brother or sister that there are serious consequences. And So, this is the how. This is the beginning. I want you to know that as we move on from here. The way that we forgive is by remembering how much we have been forgiven. So, point number two we're family, don't carry offense, okay? Don't carry offense. I'm going to look at verses 21 and 22 for this. It says, then Peter came up to Jesus and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? And you know, he's thinking, "I'm I'm, I'm, I'm going to imagine, I know how gracious Jesus is. I'm going to imagine he wants me to do this up to seven times. Jesus says, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Now, that does not mean that you keep a tally, okay, on your brothers and sisters or on your spouse, okay? We're up to seventy-five. You've got two more, and then I'm done. No, Jesus is, is meaning that it is an indefinite number. He's, in other um, in other translations, this same Greek here is 70 times 7. We're not exactly sure which one is supposed to be, but the point is the same. It's an indefinite number. It's a, it's a very large number. You're supposed to continue to forgive your brothers and your sisters. In Luke's gospel, it says, if your brother sins against you seven times a day and asks you for forgiveness, you have to forgive them every single time. Seven times a day right? That's, that is constant. That's a continual forgiveness. That is a picture of what I'm talking about here, of an atmosphere of grace where you're just, you're breathing forgiveness. You're breathing mercy and grace, and you're giving that out. You're breathing it in from the Lord, and then in your relationships with other people, you're exhaling forgiveness and mercy and grace, you see? The gospel being the air that you breathe. And it's only in that kind of an atmosphere that we can not carry offense. It's a relentless grace. In 1 Peter 4, eight, Peter says it this way. Above all, Keep loving one, one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. When we are filled with love for someone, what happens? We overlook things. We, we cover them, right? Like, like if you're in a, a healthy relationship in, with a, in a healthy marriage, you're going to do things all the time that, that rub each other the wrong way or that step on each other's toes. And what this is saying is that where there is real love, it just covers a multitude of that. You're just not picking up a fence and carrying it around. You're loving one another earnestly. And so it covers a multitude of sins an offense the dictionary defines an offense as an annoyance or irritation or resentment brought about by real or perceived insult annoyance or irritation some of you don't know this it's possible to live without being annoyed all the time (laughs) It's, it's actually possible To live your life not irritated with all the people around you. And sometimes we are so used to carrying offense that we think it's just normal to be irritated all the time and annoyed with everyone around us. That that is a sign that we're carrying around offense. Offense is caused by someone rubbing you the wrong way, or they're not thoughtful toward you, or they've hurt your feelings because um, they didn't say something, or because they did say something, or because they looked at you the wrong way. Or offense can be on a much higher level, someone actually very intentionally sinned against you or somebody, somebody stepped on you to get that promotion or somebody painted you in an intentionally negative light in order to make themselves look bigger, better. But, but here's the point. Whatever the offense, we are called not to carry them around. We're called to lay these things down continually. How do we know if we're carrying an offense? Well, first of all, there's that sense of irritation and annoyance with everyone around us. And then there is a, what, what I call a critical spirit I, that I think begins to develop in those of us who are carrying offense. And a critical spirit is when we, we look at everyone around us, brothers and sisters, co-workers. It begins to spread beyond just the family of God. We begin to look at everyone with this critical angle. Well, you know, if I was in that situation, I could have done that a lot better. Or I did that a whole lot better than they're doing it. Or, you know, that person is just such a fool. I just... uh, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I I let this seep into my heart, especially when I watch the news. Man, it seeps into my heart. A critical spirit develops when we're not loving one another earnestly and covering a multitude of sins. Let's just consider Jesus for a moment here. Imagine if Jesus demanded that he be treated as he deserved. Okay, here's, here's what I think causes a critical spirit oftentimes, or an offense that we carry offense. We believe that we deserve better treatment than what we're getting, right? We believe we deserve better treatment than we're getting, and so the, the more we deal with pride, the more we're going to deal with a critical spirit. Because we believe we, we really deserve such great treatment. And everyone is just treating me beneath what I deserve. But imagine if Jesus had done this. Imagine if he had demanded that he be treated as he deserved. And now, I, I'm, just, I'm even talking about before he gets to the cross. We all know that when he gets to the cross... I mean the treatment that he receives is despicable and horrible that he is spit on he is mocked he is murdered he is falsely accused we know that we know that this was horrid but let's just consider if he had demanded that he be treated as he deserved his entire life what did he deserve a heavenly palace a throne, the continual worship of a myriad of angels and of all of the nations. Honor and glory and power and dominion, it's all his. He deserved holy, angelic beings doing his bidding continually. What did he get? He got A feeding trough for a bed, that was a nice welcome into this world. He got a couple of shepherds as his um, welcome. He got um, dusty roads to walk on. A little town, little backwoods town called Nazareth to grow up in. He got uh, rough around the edges, amateur disciples to follow him. Think think of what he deserved. And if he had demanded that he be treated as he deserved, think think of how frustrated he would have been. Think of how hard it would have been for him to relate to anyone, to love anyone. He couldn't have. And instead, he let love cover a multitude of sins. He loved earnestly, loved the people around him day in and day out and so he never carried offense he forgave and forgave and forgave it says in 1st corinthians 13:4 through 5 that love is patient and kind it is not arrogant it does not insist on its own way it is not irritable or resentful love is not irritable It isn't insisting on its own way. There's no arrogance in love. It's not impatient. You see this? And so if we're going to live like a family, have relationships with with real people and go deep in those relationships, and they're sinners and I'm a sinner and we're going to wound each other and we're going to rub each other the wrong way and we're going to not be thoughtful at times and and we're going to just mess it up then we have got to be a people who love one another earnestly, cover one another's sins, and don't carry offenses. Number three, we're family, talk it out. We're family, talk it out. Look at verse 15 here. Jesus says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Here's where we get to some very practical stuff about how to maintain good relationships in the family of God. Um, This is the main thing that we can take away from this, is that Jesus wants us to go to one another when there's a rift in the relationship to have a conversation. Unfortunately, this is very rare in our culture, very strange in our culture. You don't go and talk to someone when there's an issue. You just sweep it under the rug until eventually that relationship's kind of used up and done. You don't enjoy that person anymore. They don't enjoy you, and you just sort of move on. This is not how it works in the kingdom of God. And let me just tell you that it is better this way. This is better. This is deeper and richer and more fulfilling and lasting. And I'm telling you, this is better. He wants us to talk it out. So here's here's what I want you to consider, is that this goes beyond, I think, this goes beyond just when there is a specific blatant sin against you. I think that this is any time there is something between you and another believer, that you go to them and you talk to them about it. Now, obviously, that includes when someone has blatantly sinned against you, but here, here's what Here's what I'm trying to say is that if we're living in an atmosphere of grace and breathing the gospel, then then love's going to cover over so many offenses that hopefully this isn't happening all of the time. But occasionally there's going to come a point where you, maybe you know what happened, maybe you don't, but there's something that, that's wrong that's off between you and another brother or sister. And when you find that to be the case and you've you've prayed about it and you're like, I just, I still don't know what it is. Or maybe you know what it is and it's silly and still that rift is there. You go and you talk about it with them. It says in Hebrews 12, 14 that we're to strive for peace with everyone. In this verse, Jesus gives us some um, very practical tools, and I want us to look at it in depth and to see here's some rules for maintaining deep friendships. Let's look at this verse together. It says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Now, here's how I want us to look at this. I want us to see if we were to obey this what would, it, what would that mean that, that we didn't do? Okay, I've got us a list here. If we obey this command, here is what that means we don't do. We don't wait for them to come to us. Right? Because Jesus says, go and tell him his fault. So that is an imperative on me. I take the initiative, I take action, I go. I don't wait until, if there's a rift, I don't wait until maybe they come to me, okay? It means that we don't keep it inside. We tell him, we tell her, we have a conversation, we expose it to the light. Here's the thing that you'll find, is that as soon as you talk it out with with people 99% of the time, as soon as this conversation begins and it's exposed into the light, all of the weirdness and strangeness that the enemy has been trying to work into that relationship just falls away. And it's like, oh, wow, what were we doing? What, what, what was the problem here? I don't even know anymore. Because you've just brought it into the light. you talking about it. Here's the third thing that we don't do. We don't assume that, that they, um, that's supposed to say, know anything, that, that they know they did anything. Oh yeah, it does. We don't assume that they know they did anything. <laughs> Sorry, it's hard to read. So one thing that we might wrongly assume when, when there's a rift in a relationship is we think, well, you know what? I mean, they know what they did, and if they really wanted, if they really cared about me, if they really cared about this friendship, they would come to me, and you know what you'll find if you go and talk to people, most of the time they actually don't. They actually don't know they did anything, and here's the thing, even if they do know, you're still commanded to take the initiative and go and talk to them, okay? We are to go tell them His fault. Get very specific with, here's what I think might have caused this rift, or here's what I'm struggling with, or whatever. It's specific. We don't assume that they know they did anything. Fourth, we don't talk to someone else about it. It says that this is between you and him alone. This is a one-on-one conversation. Here's one way that you know if you're carrying offense is if you're talking to your spouse about it. Or you're talking to your roommate about it. You're not talking to the person that offended you. You're talking to somebody else. You're carrying offense if that's the case. And the Bible calls that gossip. It divides people. And what you're doing when you talk to somebody else about it is you're painting this person in a negative light. You're tearing them down with your tongue. The, the tongue is a powerful weapon it can either build up or destroy. And the Bible speaks very strongly against gossip. So we don't, we don't talk to someone else about it. We go and talk to them. Fifth, if we're the one that someone comes to and talks to, we don't get defensive. Here, here's one thing that I know is that we have blind spots, big ones. Big, big blind spots. And even when we don't intend to wound people, we do. And so when somebody comes to us and approaches us, what we need to do is be humble and listen. It says, if he listens to you. We need to be humble and go, what can I learn here? How am I coming across wrongly? What do I need to do differently next time? What is God trying to teach me? And we need to see that this brother or sister is doing a bold, courageous thing that is admirable, that says, if nothing else, that they care about the relationship. If they didn't care about it, they wouldn't come and talk to you. And so we don't get defensive. And then last thing that we don't do, we don't believe the lie that it's not worth it. He says, you have gained your brother. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Now, how valuable is a brother or a sister? And what we do, what our culture, I mean, this is just what, what our culture believes, is that it's not worth having those awkward conversations. I mean, my goodness, who wants to deal with 10 or 15 seconds of awkwardness? That would be absolutely unbearable. Right? This is how we think. It's not worth it for me to experience that discomfort for a second. Why is it so hard to do this? Well, because the enemy hates, hates when we dwell together in unity, when we have deep fellowship, when we have loving friendships with each other. The enemy hates that and fights tooth and nail to keep it from happening. And as long as he can keep us in the dark, Not exposing that wedge that we feel between another brother or sister. Not exposing that wound that we receive from another brother or sister. Not talking it out. As long as we keep it to ourselves, then he can have a heyday. He can just whisper and whisper and deceive and take you deeper and deeper into that. And he can just drive wedge after wedge after wedge. So, we talk it out. We go to the person that we're not in harmony with. And 99 times out of 100, we're going to win our brother or sister. But what do we do when we don't? And that's my final point here. Point number four. We're family. It's worth the effort. There's a lot in this passage that, unfortunately, I just don't have time to dig into all of it. But it says this. Verses 16 through 20. Two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. A couple things I want to point out here. Jesus commands us to continue pursuing reconciliation. He gives us four steps here in this. And it's in this context of pursuing reconciliation Reconciliation that he says, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am among them. As I thought about this, maybe you have experienced this it, when when you go have a conversation with a brother or sister mm. in order to bring reconciliation or healing into a relationship that's not right. The presence of God is palpable. In those situations. As I I went back in my memory and thought about instances, I remember feeling the continual, powerful presence of the Holy Spirit in those conversations. Why? Because He cares so much about unity in the church, He cares so deeply. Look at his famous prayer in John 17 in the Garden of Gethsemane and look and see how much of his mind and focus and heart is on unity. When we gather together, two or three gather together for the sake of reconciliation, he is going to be in our midst, powerfully working in those situations. If we pray, if we ask him, to do this. And so what I want you to see, what, what, again, I, we don't have time to dig into all of this, but that, that, that Jesus is, is asking us to continue making so much effort to keep unity, to, to bring reconciliation. Here's the four steps we're going to go over really quickly. Four-step process for conflict resolution. Step number one is Conversation. We go, we talk it out one-on-one, and if, they, if there's not a, a reconciliation that happens there, then step two is mediation. We go to them with one to two others, and we try again, and th- this is very intentional that it helps to, um, uh, to protect us from misunderstandings. It helps us uh, to, be, to be guarded against misunderstanding our brother or sister, and them to be guarded against misunderstanding us. If this still is not reconciliation, then he asks us to go and involve the church to bring church leadership into the situation and see if church leadership can help bring about some reconciliation. And if still there isn't a reconciliation, there is a fourth step. And this is, this is something that should happen very, very rarely. And, and that is in a case where someone is very clearly in ongoing unrepentant sin then church discipline is that they are removed from fellowship now i you know that's probably a whole sermon in and of itself that we're not diving into but i just want to say this there are churches that abuse this that are far too domineering in their leadership and there are churches that don't use it at all and that's not biblical um so I just want you to know that and hear that, that if you're in a church that, has, that is breathing the air of grace, that where, where the leadership's acknowledging, I'm a sinner, I'm broken, I'm messed up, we're all in need of constant grace, um, then this should happen very rarely. But it is something that God gives us the authority to do. And that's, as, that's, very clear here, he's, when he talks about, um, he says, Wh- whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is what he's talking about. He's talking about the authority that's been given to the local church. Um, 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says this, love bears all things, endures all things. There is an endurance that comes with real love within the household of God, within the family of God. And I just want to make this final point. The Bible always talks about Christian community in the context of a local church. And in order to practice the things that this passage is talking about, of, you know, forgiving one, in, uh, one another, talking it out with one another, um, not carrying offenses, practicing reconciliation when there's a rift. In order for this, any of this to be carried out, there has to be a real all-in commitment to a local church. Do you see that? Because, here, because the thing is, if, what, what most of the time happens, I feel like, in the church in America is that when somebody offends us, rather than going through any of those four steps, rather than even having a conversation, we just start to carry offense. Eventually, we just say I'll go somewhere else. I'll go to another church. I'm not uh, listen, I'm not I'm not trying to come down on anybody. Here's what I want to say. I want to appeal to you. If you want to experience relationships like what the Bible wants us to experience, deep deep meaningful lasting relationships you're never going to get that never if you don't go all in in one local church you're never going to get it if you float you're never going to get it if you if you go to the next church when this church offends you you're never going to get that you will miss out that's what my heart in telling you this, you will miss out on so much that God is offering to us. There is a deep love that we're being called to as the family of God. Deep, lasting, meaningful relationships. And we'll only experience that if we make a commitment to go all in in one local church All in in our relationships, doing life together with one another, having people over in our homes, serving in various ways alongside other Christians, committed to stay even when somebody rubs me the wrong way or wounds me. Now, the question is, do we want that? Do we want it? I hope you do. My prayer is that you do that. You that you see how beautiful of a thing the family of God is, and that you're willing to make the sacrifices and take the risks. Because let's be honest, this means risk. Right? We can either skim across the surface and never never really get. No one ever really hurt us, but also we never really get any depth of relationship, or we can go deep, and we can forgive. And we can have those conversations. And we can come to the end of our lives with a whole lot of brothers and sisters that we love deeply and who love us and who will show up at our funeral. That's the picture for us. So let's pray. Father, Would you help us to believe the gospel, the whole gospel, the sour part and the sweet part, and to remember how much we have been forgiven so that we can breathe the atmosphere, uh, the the air of the gospel, and and live and in an atmosphere of grace, and have a church that exists in an atmosphere of grace, and, and that we could love one another earnestly from the heart, and so that that love could cover a multitude of sins, that we wouldn't be people carrying around offense. Lord, help us to lay offense down. Lord, I pray for those in this room specifically who have undealt with wounds; they have unforgiveness in their heart. Would you, would you set them free today, God? Would you do a a miracle in their hearts and set them free, God, that they might experience the joy of being a forgiving person? God, that that they would experience that joy. Would you do that miracle? And Lord, I pray that there would be another miracle that takes place here, that we would be a people that are committed to one another living in fellowship with one another, doing life together, even though that might be more complicated, Lord. Help us to be convicted, convinced, that it is better. It is worth it. And it is what your word tells us to do. So do this work in us, Lord. And may it bear much fruit in the days ahead. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Ted, I'm going to ask you to come on up, and uh, we asked Ted to, Ted, if you don't know Ted, Ted is an awesome, awesome guy. I love Ted and Amy, his wife, and um, they're in our community group, and um, I've just gotten to see God do something really neat in Ted's life that's applicable to this sermon, and so we asked him to share his testimony for a few minutes.
2: Thank you my heart's not pounding because of my testimony, but it's because of what he just spoke of. <laughs> if you're not feeling it, you need to hear it again. Uh, good morning. For those of you who don't know, my name is Ted. I haven't met all of you, and I'm sorry for that. I've been a Christian for 46 years. Not that that means anything, but just that if you're a day one Christian or, day, or 50 years a Christian, this may apply to you. My father left me my brothers when I was young. I felt betrayed and abandoned since I was named after him. He made time contact with my older siblings, but not me. When I was 16, the pastor from my church asked me to leave. That was another kick in the teeth, okay? My anger for my father and pastor grew over the years, and I started to run away from the world and God. And at age 17, I joined the Army, where I became an alcoholic. It's easy to become an alcoholic in the military because nobody cares, as long as you can do your job. I held on to anger and forgiveness for many years, 40 to be exact. My father and mother remarried when I was 33 years old, and when he moved in, I saw photos of my half-sister that I didn't know, who went to the same school as I did, only a couple years behind, so we had the same teachers. We probably should played on the same playground together. I found out he only lived a mile away. This just grew my anger and resentment even more so and kept me strong in my desire to not forgive him. After my wife and I started attending New King Church, we connected with community group. Ben is in our group, as he, as he said. And he spoke of accountability and confessing our sins to one another. I confessed to them my anger towards my father and my unforgiving spirit that I had for him. And with a friend, to help Ben, he was able to guide me to some scripture and to passage. When you have sin like this in your heart, you're blinded, over a veil of your eyes to the meaning of God's word. Mark eleven twenty six says, If you do not forgive, neither will your Father which in heaven forgive your trespasses. For me, that was a wake-up call, but it still wasn't enough. I was still stubborn. Romans 14, 12 says, So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. I started to understand that my Father's actions were his and his alone, but my actions were mine to account for. But most important, that I needed to forgive him or remove the sin from my life that was preventing me from walking in God. Sorry, cliff notes. While Christ was on the cross with nails in his hands and his feet, blood running down his face, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, forgive them. If a dying man on a cross could forgive those for doing things to him, why couldn't I? If my father were here today, I would tell him that I love him, I would tell him i forgive him, and I'd give him a hug. But my father passed away a few years ago, never knowing this. So I prayed to God that God would forgive me, and I actually prayed and asked God to tell my father that i forgive him. That burden that I shared and that veil had been lifted from me that I'd been carrying for so many years. Psalm 55, 18 says, He hath delivered my soul in peace from the battle that was against me, for there were many with me. Many of us have issues from our past, There may be a part of a veil that is blocking us from understanding God's word. And I walk with him. Confess that. Forgive them. Remove the burden and veil of resentment for those who have done you wrong. God is waiting for you and to heal your wounds and for you to walk a life with Christ. Thank you.